everyone. Welcome to episode number 72 of the Fitness Devil Podcast. Uh, Dean and I have brought a really cool guest here today, Donnie Singer. He's part of the PTDC and he has his own business, fit to go Personal Training in Baltimore, Maryland. We'll tell you more about that stuff. Donnie talks about choice minimalism. Uh, don't want to give too much away, but it's really interesting. We talk about practical strategies for fitness and nutrition, even if they're based in myths, but making sure people understand their myths. A little conversation about hating on cardio as fitness professionals, but how we apply it or don't apply it to our clientele. And a lot of what we're looking forward to in 2019 when it comes to possible trends, things that might not be relevant anymore. Stick around. It's a really great episode. Enjoy. Shut up and sit down. Hey everybody, welcome to today's episode. We've got Danny Singer on here today. He's the director of fit to go Personal Training. He's based out of Baltimore, Maryland. And he's also the fitness education advisor with the Personal Trainer Development Center. And I'm a really big fan of the PTDC, its website, and, and a lot of the stuff that's been coming out of there. We had John Goodman on the podcast not terribly long ago. John is sort of the, the creator and architect of that. Uh, but yeah, we want to get Danny on here, and so Danny was just in the middle of sharing a story. Well, we're talking about video games. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm assuming, hopefully it has something to do with video games. It may not. Yeah, so uh, we were talking about how we actually <laughs> first connected, and so here's the full story. I um, saw a therapist a couple weeks ago, and he's saying, look, man, you're too goal-oriented. Like, you got to do something that there's no goal or purpose for. And that's like the hardest thing in the world for me. So he like literally doctor's orders. I went out and bought an Xbox. And then even with that, so the first thing I played was Crash Bandicoot, which oh, was like, it did, like it helped a little because there was no purpose to it. But um, I was like, I just don't care about this little guy in this, in this game. So then he's like, all right, you know, maybe like an RPG or something like that where like there's progress. I'm like, yeah, that's what I used to be into as a kid. So then I got Elder Scrolls Online. I was oh. trying to set it up. I literally haven't played like any of these stuff since I was like 12. Um, and so I tried to set it up and it wasn't working. So I went online and I was like, all right, who can help me with this? So I went on Facebook and literally just searched like Elder Scrolls online. And then you, Andrew, came up there like from like three years ago. You had posted something about it. So I reached out and then here we are. <laughs> which is funny because I've actually never played the online one, but I played Skyrim Morrowind, which is an unbelievable game. The best. It's yeah. so good. It's so like foreboding and like yeah. doomy. And what obviously Oblivion's incredible, and like, well, you guys reposted, shared a, one, an article I wrote recently that actually talked about like a decade ago when I was like just buried in World of Warcraft and spent half my waking hours on it. Yeah, I was gonna say the therapist should have like warned you, like, don't go to MMO. So that would be like World of Warcraft because it, it is goal. It's like the most goal oriented thing on the planet that like you would probably like quit your career. So. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I didn't get into it anyway, so I'm still looking for something else non-goal-oriented. <laughs> you could play your favorite sport by, like, NHL, what is it, 2020 say, I, I now a, it's coming up? I'd say get a sports game. Yeah. Or well, Smash Brothers. I, everybody's talking about Smash Bros. right now. You go get a Switch. Is there a new game. one? Yeah, there's, there's a brand new one. For Switch. That might be better, because then you could play it on your little handheld, and you could just, like, do it wherever. They pretty much have every significant... Nintendo character in the history of Nintendo. Mega Man's on there. Simon Belmont from Castlevania. I loved Castlevania 2 from when I was like a kid from Nintendo. This is how old I am. Uh, so <laughs> we, we actually have, just brought you on here to talk to you about video games. Which is, you know uh, nothing. 
<laughs> I do know nothing. Which is which is weird that we didn't like if we're gonna bring someone on and talk about video games, we it would be Robbie Farlow. We've had him on before, and we definitely talk video games, so it goes back a little while. Uh, but I guess you know I wanted to actually start. We can go back to video games at any point, but I wanted to ask you actually how you built uh, and and run uh, fit to go because it's a little bit of a different thing than sometimes what trainers uh, how they build their businesses. And then how that led you to working with the PTDC? Okay, so it's a, it's a long story. So I'll, I'll start going through, and then if you want to go off on any tangents from there, yeah. just, we, can, we can go wherever it takes us. Um, so here's the full story. I started, uh, I, became, I got certified through NASA my freshman year of college. Um, I was, what, 20 at the time. And I really, at that point, like, I was super into fitness. And I really thought, okay, this would be a nice, like, good part-time job for while I'm going through college and I'll probably go into like computer programming or something like that. And, uh, my first client was like a huge success story. He lost 60 pounds. He had like, he had no interest in fitness. He just wanted to, he was a priest that wanted to become a chaplain in the Navy. So we had to like meet their PT standards it was the only, his only reason he wanted to lose weight. And in the story, he didn't even end up taking that job, but he had lost like 75 pounds he was running five times a week had completely changed his lifestyle and diet. And he like, he was hypertensive. He had high cholesterol. He had sleep apnea, every obesity related illness gone. And it enhanced his life so deeply that like still to this day, I'll follow up with him every couple of months and he's still sticking with it. Like it's, it's really been a lifestyle change. So like that high that I got from that, I was like, yeah. this is like, I got to figure out how to make this into a career. So then I started thinking, and I was working at a gym at the time, so I started thinking about it a little bit more, and I decided, okay, there's really two choices, choice to really make personal training into a career, right? Because this is the issue, is that most trainers, uh, either they started as a hobby or they started thinking it's going to be a career, and then the average lifespan of a trainer is less than two years. They quit the industry because they can't pay their own bills. So, um, so, okay, there are two choices. One, I can like, you know, become an amazing trainer, become like a celebrity trainer or train athletes or something like that. Or B, I could start a company and have a successful company and go from there. And so I went with choice B. Um, and so then I it was only maybe a year and a half later, I was 21 and that's when I started fit to go. And so I'm not going to lie. I'm going to tell you the truth. When I started fit to go the, with fit to go was in home personal training. The mm -hmm. reason that we did in home personal training was because I was a 21 year old college student with no money. Like I could, <laughs> I could barely afford the $70 to the department of assessments and taxation to register the name fit to go. So like in home training was the only way I could start a company because there was like basically no overhead. And then so I literally, like, our first year, almost all of our clients were coming from Craigslist, where we would just post on <laughs> Craigslist, like, and, and I still, it, it baffles me. Like, we literally were getting, like, brain surgeons from Craigslist. I'm like, why are these people looking on Craigslist? And I, I still don't know why they were, but. <laughs> you could you could guess. if you. <laughs> what, else, what else are they looking what, for on man, Craigslist? <laughs> There's a lot of weird shit on Craigslist. Apparently, you can come across some weird shit and then just find some training on the side. It's probably. <laughs> yes, probably what it was. Um, but I think what the reason that it worked was because I don't think most people were looking for their personal trainer on Craigslist. Yeah. But of those people who were, we had the best Craigslist ad. So of those people, because ours looked like most people on there are just like shirtless random people, whereas ours looked like a more professional Looking for a trainer, uh, ad. quotations. See? Like mm -hmm. that's like, you just have to be legit. Yeah. So, um, 
Yeah, and so then right away I uh, started hiring other trainers. Again, I was 20, and I was super self-conscious about how young I was. Because then I was 21, and I was hiring like trainers who were literally old enough to be my parents. They're in their 40s, um, and I, I, I didn't like. I was really hiding the fact that I was like the owner or the face. I was not the face of the business. And originally my plan was like, all right, so I'll set this up and it will be more of what I had seen before, which is like, will be a great website and I'll just kind of get leads and set them up with trainers, get a commission off that and I can have a successful company that way. Um, and then pretty soon along the way, I realized that it wasn't what I wanted. What I wanted was to really build a organization that I was proud of, like have amazing trainers and amazing service. So then I changed. Um, and then we just grabbed, like literally, again, I had no money. So it was like each client that came in would pay for something necessary for the business. So like, it, like the first client, I think then uh, I was able to afford a website. <laughs> After the second client, then I could afford like uh, a business phone. Then we went and then like it was a year later, I was able to start affording like scheduling and billing software. And we just built up from there. And look, I, I went to, into it with no business experience. I didn't even have much fitness experience, honestly. I was a year and a half into it. Um, but I was... I think just aware that there was a lot I didn't know. And I think that's maybe why, I mean, for sure there was a lot of fortunate um, luck that came my way, but a lot of it was just realizing I don't know a lot and I'm just going to figure it out as I go. Well, that's and, on, honestly, if we stop you there, there's been a lot of guests where that mindset was <clears> the reason for their success. Cause we, I think we've talked, we've talked well, about this multiple times. Eric Helms recently, we actually talked extensively about <clears throat> the role that luck played in his career and it's something I've written about recently, and, I, and I'm a big believer, like, A, you have to do all of the things well and consistently to put yourself in a position to benefit from luck. There's a lot of people out there just waiting for luck to strike without actually doing the work. That doesn't work very well. But again, yes, it, almost anyone that we know who has been successful has had in some way, shape, or form a significant amount of luck. But then, but then the, the mindset true. behind it where they're like, I don't know shit. And then the more you learn, like the more people learn, they kind of understand that they don't know anything. <laughs> but there's people The more that, you know, the more you really but, don't know. But then the other end of the spectrum, there's people that will, the when they learn something, that's it. And I think that that blocks them. So the people that kind of have that growth mindset tend to, I guess, capitalize on luck because they're not, they didn't find the answer yet. <laughs> Dean Somerset wrote something a long time ago that was really good. And he he chronicles all of the steps through his career because he's had a, he's done everything. His uh, he's got a good online training business in person. He's taught. He's ran a continuing or continuing education uh, end of a major gym franchise. He's uh, what else the fuck is he doing? Uh, he's got his info products, which is big. And he's like talking about each step. He's like, and I still had no fucking clue what I was doing. I still had no clue what I was doing. <laughs> I still had no clue what I was doing. And this is a guy who's literally been putting it all together, not playing by anybody's set of rules, but figuring out as he's going because he had no fucking idea what he's doing. So, but anyways, I, the point is sweet. Then what? You didn't know yeah, shit. So, then, so it started growing a little bit from there, hiring more trainers. Um, and really the PTDC was such a huge, huge instrumental uh, growth factor in, in my own career. Um, I think it was probably just a Facebook ad I had seen. And I was like, oh my God, even just the name, Personal Training Development Center, I was like, this is exactly what I've been yearning for. Like all of those pieces that are not taught in the certification and they're not taught really anywhere that personal trainers have zero guidance on. And like I was working at a gym and when you're working at a gym, you know, as a brand new trainer, 
and this is the corporate gym, you're, there's almost no guidance. The only, every meeting is just about how are your sales? How's your revenue? What can we do to improve it? Nobody even asked me ever, how are your clients' results? How are they doing? How can we make them better? Um, and so all those, like everything from the science to the programming to the uh, coaching and those conversations to how to deal with vacations, like all of this stuff, there's just no guidance on. So when I found the PTDC, I was elated and I just dove in and that really, really helped my career. Um, and so that helped me a lot, become a better trainer and develop better systems. And that was around like 2014. Um, 2016 was the next really, really big stepping stone when I had a consultation with a client who um, these consultations were supposed to be 90 minutes. And what would happen, because I had more time, the business was smaller at the, at the time, I would just end up spending like three hours with them <laughs> because I just like, we get so into like, in these consultations, like what we do is like really like a 12 month program and we dive in and we really focus on like the term lifestyle change has become such a buzzword, but like that's mm. what we actually focus on doing. So we focus more on their habits than just like the workout sessions. And so because we had this like deep, really good conversation, it just happened to be that this client uh, was the what was he, the, 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 the PR rep for this big hospital in Baltimore where, where we are. And so then like a month later, he just sent me this query from a reporter saying, hey, um, you know, they wanted uh, a fitness expert for this article they're writing and um, we don't have anybody at our hospital. So I was just wondering if you'd be interested. And so I, I, was, I remember like exactly this moment because where it all started. I was like at the mall. And I, when I saw this on my phone, I like sat down and spent like an hour like writing down immediately like my response to it because I wanted to jump on this. And this was like a no-name random site, but like this is the other piece of like you were just talking about with like with luck. I think a huge part of it is recognizing the luck that comes your way because mm -hmm. I've seen and I've given opportunities to other people before, and I hear the excuses they make for like why it's not going to work out, yeah. and I'm just like, I don't understand. Like if that was me, like. I w there would be nothing that could come in the way that would stop me from jumping on this. Yeah. So that went well. And then from there, that reporter got more from that reporter. She started giving my name to other reporters. And then I started building up from there. And that's how I then really started. This was never in the plans. It just ha fell into my lap that I started doing more of these. And then eventually got into bigger things like Reader's Digest, Men's Health, uh, Live Strong. And then we got into TV from there. Now I'm doing the um, Fox morning show. So Jeez. that was a huge, huge stepping stone for me, which started in 2016. So that's all pretty um, recent, too. What you say? That's all pretty recent. Like that, that scheduling of events is like that's like a year and a half, two years. I guess it's two, two, yeah. two years. Yeah, two years. That's nuts. Yeah, yeah. And so fit to go. I started my career in 20, 2012. Started yeah. fit to go in 2013. Um, and the other piece is with the PTDC. So this, again, I think there will be, so there's a lot of fit pros that listen to this podcast, right? Yeah. So I think, I think this will be huge for them too. Like if I hadn't done what I'm about to say, like who knows what opportunities I wouldn't like maybe this right now, I wouldn't be on this podcast <laughs> right now. What I did was I was such a fan of the PTDC. It was so amazing. And there was, I I'd listened to a podcast of John Goodman. I think it was on maybe the fit cast. And it was old, like this was, so this is probably, I think also in 2016 or end of 2015. And it was from a couple of years earlier. So it was from like 2013 or 14. And at the time in that podcast, he said, Hey, yeah, if anybody wants to reach out to me, you know, just uh, shoot me an email and I respond to every email. So I was like, what? No way. So I just shot him an email and said, Hey, I heard you said this. So I just wanted to reach out. And then he actually replied. And then I talked to him a little bit 
And I was just, I had no goals with this. I was just reaching out because I was a huge, I like, he literally, and to this day, I still consider him my main mentor. And not because we talk all the time so much, but just because so much of what I do is structured around the advice that I've gotten from him. Um, and so anyway, then he added me on Facebook from there. And I was like, oh, awesome. So I started learning more from him. I started connecting with him a little more. And then I just reached out to him one day and said, hey, you know, if there's anything I can ever do, you know, even for free to help out with the PTDC and just, you know, learn more from you, just please keep me in mind because I'm just a huge fan and, I, and I'd love to. And he just wrote back with a nice message like, hey, thanks, Donnie. I really appreciate it. And then like probably six months later, uh, the person who was doing the PTDC best fitness articles just happened to step mm -hmm. down. And I think it was really coincidentally on my birthday in 2016. Um, he said, hey, uh, out of the blue, I hadn't talked to him in months. He's like, hey, uh, this person just stepped down. Would you want to do this? I was like, yes. Oh, my God. Amazing. And then so I jumped on that. And then I've been doing the PTDC best fitness articles since 2016. Um, and obviously just being a part of the PTDC has helped my career immensely and not even like my business goals, but more so because I don't really have any current business goals in terms of teaching trainers or anything like that down the line. I would like to, but that's not my main focus now. Um, I just enjoy it like this right here. Yeah. Like I'm not working on any, like I'm not working on getting any money out of anything like this. I just genuinely love talking with other fitness professionals. I'm passionate about the industry. Um, so it definitely helped get my name out there. So that was huge. And it all stemmed just from me sending John a random email one day. Cause I heard, Hey, I respond to every email. So John's going to get a whole shit ton of random emails after people listen to the podcast. <laughs> but, but I think that, like, that's honestly, he won't. Like, that's why he probably kept you in mind because I think that the people who are serious about stuff tend to listen to that and get excited about it. And most people won't do that. That's like the whole idea of recognizing the lucky situations and putting in the work. Like, I bet a lot of people won't message him. Yeah. Well, if anything, here's a good lesson is, you know, the, especially the fit pros are part of our community or who've been guests or whatever. And if you don't actually know Danny, we'll actually connect with him because he and I end up connecting. I think I sent you a Facebook request after because you're talking about the, the best fitness articles. Uh, Mike Howard messaged me and he had submitted one because he's on the advisory board, uh, something I wrote. And then you guys put it on your list for Sunday. I was like, <clears throat> holy shit. Like, this is something that, like, I imagine, like, oh, that'd be really cool if one day. And I recently, like, I've been procrastinating the website for years. Fit Guys, like, seriously, get your website up earlier, write for it, earlier practice because... Like, that's something I never did. And all of a sudden, like, my third article I ever wrote is, like, shared on this thing. I'm like, holy fuck. So, obviously, you and I got in touch, and now here we are chatting. And well, it's very similar to the podcast. Uh, same kind of story. I was like, oh, I want to start this podcast. I'm just going to message Andrew because he likes to talk about fitness shit. And it was just like, if I didn't make that phone call, it wouldn't have happened. But I, it was just like, I don't know. You just got to do but, it. I don't know. look what has happened. Like, you know, we're not going to go on about too much about our uh, last couple of years, but I mean, the year and a half since we've had this going, it's been unbelievable. So, um, let's see. Yeah. You already really threw out some stuff about what you'd want other fitness professionals to think about. So I guess I don't, Dean's got a question. Well, I, I think like the, another way we wanted to go with this was kind of this idea that of minimalism and, and kind of how you're big on it and training in life and, I guess let's let everyone know kind of how did you arrive here and how could anyone minimize their life a little bit more and like what are the benefits from it in your opinion? So how did I arrive at choice minimalism? Yeah, yes. and like like why, why minimalism and like what the hell can people get from it? <laughs> so uh, here's a cool, a funny <laughs> anecdote. Uh, there was a point, I, I by nature I'm a huge perfectionist and I overanalyze everything. 
And there was a moment, it's so clear to me in my head, maybe a year or a year and a half ago or so, um, where I was in my kitchen and I was trying to decide between like three, it was in the morning, I was trying to decide between three different things. Like, do I eat breakfast? Do I drink a protein shake? Do I like write my journal? Like something like that. And this is like, like this could be in a movie. Like I literally like walked back and forth in my living room, deciding to go to the kitchen or to, or to the living room like six times, like changing my mind. Like, no, I should do this first. No, I should do that first. And this, I realized at that moment, like how much of my days were just completely wasted trying to decide what should I do today and what should I do first and what should I do second and, you know, yeah. at every moment deciding what should I do. So the whole idea of choice minimalism is getting rid of all those stupid decisions <laughs> and just reverse engineering. So figuring out uh, reverse, I'm just as big as reverse on reverse engineering as I am choice minimalism, which is starting with the end in mind, figuring out what are my goals and then choosing your actions based on the quickest and most effective way to get there. So, um, and choice minimalism is really something I've been working on more recently over the last really Q4 2018. Um, with like set routines for everything. And I started with just bedtime and wake up time. So I was trying to, and I'm not perfect with it, but I was shooting for 10 p.m. bedtime, 6 a.m. wake up time. And then almost like by default, everything just started becoming routine from there. Like down to the fact that I put my keys on the hook the exact same place automatically every second I step in the door. Your bathroom so breaks? Spend, <laughs> your, ba that? your bathroom breaks are that routine? You don't have to answer that. <laughs> I wish. God, that would life, make life much easier. You can um, minimize that. <laughs> but yeah, it makes like so many of those little decisions that you no longer have to focus on anymore. So A, it saves you time. But B is the question of decision fatigue. Yes. Which is like, if you're spending all this time trying to decide, uh, should I eat breakfast or drink a protein shake first? then you're you're wasting all that willpower and conscious effort <laughs> that you could be applying to an article you're writing or whatever it is. So I think that's huge. It's like the first decision you make of your day, plan it out so that first decision is something that matters, not what time do I eat breakfast. You've used the example of uh, in where I, because I, re I research things that uh, anyone who comes on the podcast, they're talking about. So you talk about Mark Zuckerberg and jo Steve Jobs is famous for this stuff. We always see them wearing the same outfit. And I think someone who's hearing this might think, well, what kind of a difference does that make? Just think about the last time you actually struggled to decide what shirt to wear and just how much like decision-making power that took relative to the magnitude of it's a, it's the clothing you're fucking wearing. And, you know, the guys listening to this stuff, maybe not too bad, but the girls, we know that they've got a closet full of clothes and they have nothing to wear. That's cliche. But the reality is it does do exactly what you said. It burns... You know, it, it does burn willpower in a sense. Now, there's some questions about the research on willpower and whether or not it's a finite resource. That's the traditional belief. And there's some question about that. But it tends to hold up in practice fairly well. And, of course, by the end of the day, when we want to sit down and not eat garbage, this is where it kind of goes to everyday people, if you burned up a lot of your, again, accumulate a lot of decision fatigue early in the day through a lot of bullshit decisions that should be routine systems that you could have set up to be automatic. Then later on, it does become a little harder to not grab the chips in the pantry. Of course, not having the chips in the pantry is a better approach, but this is how this stuff plays in. So the later part of the day, when you're mentally exhausted from everything that goes on, that's where you're more vulnerable. 
So, and then doing these things early in the day can be a really good way to guard against that. Yeah. And so the, I haven't even dove into choice minimalism and fitness in this conversation yet, but that's a whole much deeper conversation because what, what that does with fitness is it's so key. And I didn't even realize really like what the term was or what the exact concept was that we were already focusing on with our clients. And it is choice minimalism. Mm -hmm. And once I learned that, um, I just really drove it home for me and made me understand more of the whole mindset and philosophy behind what we do with our clients. And here's what it is. My, my strong, strong belief and what works so well with our clients is that you have to avoid making the decision in the moment. You don't want to wait until lunchtime hits when you have your fitnesses and our clientele are busy working professionals. So like they're usually very highly accomplished, like CEOs or executives or whatever. And they have a million other things to worry about. Their biggest struggle, a lot of them, they really know what they need to be doing for exercise and nutrition. They just have no idea how to make it practical with their lives. And that's really what we focus on with them. And so what happens is, you know, Sunday night, they will uh, say, okay, you know, I really got to get on top of my fitness this week. And um, tomorrow I'm going to make a better choice and we eat healthy. And then when it's actually lunchtime the next day, fitness is the last thing on their mind. They have a million other stressors and things going on with work, family, everything else. And so they just need to grab whatever is quickest and easiest, which is often fast food so that it can be done and they can go back to their work. So it's the problem is when they uh, rely on willpower, rely on decisions, but if they plan ahead and so whether it's meal prep or whether it's choosing the menu item the day before and have an exact plan and plan it out so that in that moment, the easiest and quickest decision is a healthy lunch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. then that makes it the default so it's no it doesn't take any willpower any decision and it happens the default is eating healthy and that's what we try to get to i love that you said that i use that exact same language a lot about default settings default modes and how most people their default mode is an off mode if you hear for the trainers or any of the enthusiasts listening if you're in the habit of using or hearing <clears throat> uh oh i've got to get uh i've got to reset I've got to get back on track. Uh, I'm off. Like that kind of language is a very strong signal that that person's default setting is an off mode where they're not as active. They're eating poorly. What I know in my life personally is that I rewrote somewhere along the way. My default setting is going to the gym for me. And this is how I explain it. It causes me, I have to decide not to go. You know how most people decide to go to the gym. I have to decide not to because it's an automatic setting for me. And same thing when it comes to baseline nutritional habits. So I really believe if someone wants to have success long-term, one of the best ways you can do it is if you can actually rewire your thinking so that way your default mode is to go to the gym. Your default mode is the better nutrition. That's not easy. That's a process. And what you said about um, planning ahead, that, that's been key to a lot of the success with clients I've ever worked with is the people who actually are proactive and plan and think ahead about this stuff. When they're doing that stuff, they do very, very well when they get away from that stuff. It, seem, it seems really cliche too, but it's something that is overlooked. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's one of those things like, oh yeah, whatever, plan ahead. But like people don't do it. <laughs> they just don't do it. Yeah. And when, yeah. And when we talk about planning ahead, like well, the other piece is getting really, really, really specific. So like yeah, that's the, first, the first goal that we set with our clients, we, we do it with our clients. What mm -hmm. we do, we don't just say, hey, go, you know, make a plan for the week. We, we do it with them. And yeah. we'll often... And this often frustrates them, the clients, will often like, you know, in the first month, we might spend a couple sessions 
just like we might spend a session meal prepping with them. We might spend a session just setting up a nutrition plan. And they're usually answered like, ah, I wanted to work out because that's what we're expecting for personal training. But we'll explain is, hey, our job is to get you results. So you tell me what your goal is. If your goal is to lose 30 pounds, doing another workout is going to be a drop in the bucket. But changing your process for meal prepping and things like that is going to be the biggest thing long term. Um, and so the first habit goal that we usually nail down is usually grocery shopping and meal prep, where the same way they have a set time for their sessions every week, they have a set time as if it's an appointment with their trainer, they have a set time on their calendar, and it has to go on their calendar for grocery shopping and meal prep, so that it's not, I'm going to fit it in sometime in the weekend, because then it doesn't happen, but it's at this time every week, and that's what we're talking about, where then there's no decision of when am I going to do it today. It's automatic, and it gets done every week. And that's interesting, too, because it probably works pretty well, especially the people that are coming to you. You almost get that crowd of people that need those decision fatigue strategies because if you're hiring someone to come to your house, they obviously recognize that they have a problem. And then you basically just told them that you have a little bit more than just the workout problem. And then you, you just have the specific answer for them. And they're going to do it probably because they're type A's, a lot of them. Oh, 100. They're all type A. Super, yeah. super, super type A. Yeah. And so it's that their biggest struggle is just time and practicality. And so that's what we focus on. Let's actually take that a little further, the, the word practical, because this is how I wrote the question. And you spend a lot of time discussing practical strategies for fitness and nutrition, right? We've already delved into that. And you've, in some of your media, have hit on using strategies like not eating past a certain evening hour for fat loss. Now, we know that not eating past a certain hour is a myth. People are afraid, hey, if I eat past this point, I'll get fat. So how do you navigate using myth-based strategies at times, effectively, uh, but educating the clients the fact that, you know, this is still sort of a myth and deflecting against criticism of using that? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. So um, I most trainers, and I was like this too, when you're starting off, you think it's your job to just like rant against everything that's bad and not true. Um, and I still do that somewhat. I think it, there is some effectiveness and utility to it. But at the end of the day, what actually helps for clients is telling them what is helpful and what they can do. Um, and so again, so my focus is completely on the practicality. And so the, the, the video you're referring to, the title of it was literally, don't eat after 9 p.m. is a myth, but it works. <laughs> and so the point was, um, the, the, what what the biggest problem is that with with all these myths that uh, the general population ends up believing is that their bet their their argument if you tell them it's not true or the science isn't supported is well it worked so I don't really care and so it's really really important to get really clear it might have worked but here's why it worked it's not because of yeah. you know this BS theory behind it it's because of this condition that happened to be met like that like. Ketogenic diet is a great example of that. Yes. yes, if it creates a caloric deficit, you're going to lose weight, but it's not because you're eating zero carbs. Um, and so with not eating after 9 p.m., that's that's exactly what it is. It's not that – so I, my main point of the video is actually to let people know that you can eat after 9 p.m. There's nothing wrong with it. But here's why it does work for some people, and you might want to try it out, which is just that late at night, that's mm -hmm. when – especially our clients, I think most people – that's when they're most likely to binge and eat crap because that's when they're just stressed out, they're exhausted, they have a, a rough day, and they want some kind of pleasure or something to look forward to, whatever. So that's when they'll have their beer or, or candy or whatever. And so if they just have a blanket rule of no eating after 9 p.m., again, there's no decision to make of, okay, should I eat the snack or not? Or, you know, I'll eat something healthier, I'll eat a little less. It's just, again, that, that default setting of no eating after 9 p.m. And 
if, if they brush their teeth at 9 p.m., that's the biggest thing, too, because then it's just they're done. Yeah, they're not eating for the day. It's not fun to eat after you brush your teeth. That's a good uh, hack. Uh, this reminds me of, and I, I mentioned this recently because <laughs> we had Brian Cron on recently, uh, and we're going to get him back with Marty McPhee, actually. I remember to do that. But Brian, I remember, first time I met him, he did a presentation. A lot of it was just basic, practical strategies to help people get results. And I remember one of the other presenters who was sort of a high-level, like nutrition person, I won't say who, was whining, sitting near me about the stuff that he was saying because some of it was myth-based stuff. But the reality is Brian Cron is actually one of the best people at getting guys lean, especially in just actually delivering results. So Brian knows that rules like eating after 9, don't eat after 9 p.m., That's it's mythical bullshit. You just cut but two hours out of calorie consumption. But just like what you said, it can work really well if done right. And again, Brian is someone who is not afraid to use whatever will work for an individual, whether or not it's steeped in empirical, validated science, or if it's old school bro body bullshit. Yeah, and so here's, I'm glad you said this. So this is the biggest takeaway that took me a couple of years to learn. And this might have come from John Gibman, which is that when you're making content, whether you're doing videos, writing, and especially when you're coaching your clients, so most trainers start off in a defensive mindset where they're worried about what would another trainer say or if I post this online, what are people going to respond? You're not writing your content for other trainers unless you're teaching trainers. If, you're, if your demographic is clients, then write for clients uh, and focus on what do they need to know. Don't worry about throwing in all these caveats and all of these you know, separate tangents to impress other trainers or using you know, big words. Focus on what does the client need to know, what's going to help them most. And still, it's important that you're not perpetuating myths, right? Like what I was doing, like if if it is a myth, explain that it's a myth, explain the science behind. But don't write to impress other trainers if that has nothing to do with your business. I agree with that 100%. Plus, like someone will find something to disagree with, especially the evidence stuff. <laughs> like I could just see the people getting mad about like, that's not how it works after 9 p.m. It doesn't mean blah, blah, blah. Here's some studies. But it just like... You literally cut 10% of their consumption out for most people. And sometimes maybe more if they eat shit at night. But like, how right. does that get overlooked? And I think that like, yeah, you don't need to explain yourself to other trainers if what you're selling is not ridiculous. And now, like if you told them that eating past nine is works because of some nutrition science bullshit, then you're just crazy. But I mean, I don't want exactly. to get, I don't want to get them too wound up, but Guido has been a little, a little out of war path lately about no, a certain new breed of fitness professional who is very aggressively directing their marketing towards other trainers and helping them scale their online businesses and this sort of stuff. And uh, <laughs> we obviously like, actually I, um, I have the online trainer Academy course and I'm, chipping away at it because I tend to be more in person. I love it. I actually think it's a great product. We had John Goodman on talking about it. Yeah. And if someone's interested in actually learning how to build an online training business, I think it is the go-to. I've seen other people out there who sell this this stuff and I'm, just, I'm not impressed. I find it's like, this is a really, really good product and obviously you're aligned with PTDC. And it's well, that's kind of what the message is. is like, like but, John, I don't know what video John just put out, but... Again, he's not combating like the whatever the business mastermind bullshit, but he is talking about how do you become good at talking to people? Like, like that's pretty much what half his shit's about. Like that's not it's, that's a business coach, but technically he's just teaching like and, actual fundamentals with communication with people that you're selling to. And ironically, he talked about in our podcast how he's never had a coach himself. <laughs> he never hired a business coach. <laughs> he's just like I shouldn't say. And this, he's but. one of the most successful people in our industry, right? And he's 
you know, his name is not as big as, you know, a few other people out there, but he's behind the scenes on this giant entity, so but he's doing a lot of good work. But it's funny because I, I think a lot of people listening to this and myself and probably yourself included have wrote to other trainers or, or had that apprehension of writing something. It's like, oh, what are all these people going to say? But I think as long as you're not like totally out out to left field, like you're pretty good. Most trainers recognize the fact that you're trying to talk to your clients. Yeah. They're not going to go on there and just trash what you're saying. And if they do, like they'll just look like idiots. The other trainers are going to gauge the stuff you write to the clients anyway, which is what works best. Like I don't go around looking for posts to chime in on. I don't know. I'm sure some people do. <laughs> the people that do have way too much time. There's a lot of that. I don't understand how some of the people in our industry are actually making any money because it feels like they're spending most of their time arguing on Facebook. Well, that's exactly what you say. Like, that's the best argument. It's like, oh, you could spend more time researching or just, like, go, like, do something. But that's another battle altogether. Let's ask him about cardio. Oh, shit, yeah. Like, this is actually kind of cool because um, Andrew and I both hate cardio. I've kind of recently added in <laughs> a little bit more. I was an athlete growing up, so, like, I just... I always did cardio with sports, and then I just hate doing it outside of that. But this isn't entirely uncommon among trainers. Like, we hate cardio, but... <laughs> Obviously, there's benefits. Um, kind of, how do you approach the use of cardio for their for your clients and for their goals? Yeah, so I'm I'm with you. Uh, same story, right? I was an athlete growing up. I never let, and even while I was an athlete, I hated running. Like oh, I would yeah. try to like in the off season, like run to like keep up my my cardiovascular fitness, and it sucked. It's fine if I was in a basketball game, but just running to run was awful. Um, so yeah, I personally hate cardio. If I do cardio. Um, I've always loved, uh, high intensity interval training to so doing like sprints because then I can think of it like a weightlifting set where I have like eight and 10 sets and then I'm done rather than just running at the same speed for 45 minutes and go crazy. But, um, in terms of with clients, so this comes back to the philosophy in terms of how we do everything with clients is we look at, again, reverse engineer. Okay. What do we need? So for most of our clients, one of their main goals is general health, heart health. And, um, so it really does help them a lot to have. Um, cardio and specifically some steady state cardio and they so in terms of how we go about that again what we explain is there's no benefit to running on a treadmill for 45 minutes versus going on a hike for 45 minutes or uh you know bike riding for 45 minutes or playing a sport for 45 minutes you can literally be pogo sticking for 45 minutes it doesn't matter because the result we're looking for there is consistent movement for 45 minutes and so as long as getting your heart rate up and you're moving then you're good to go and so we reverse engineer from there. So to clarify, like we do have a good number of clients who do typical boring steady state cardio because they like it. But we base it off of, okay, what do you enjoy most? What can you realistically stick to? Not like pushing through really hard for 30 days, but what can you stick to for the next 10 years? And then we choose it based on that. Well, that's a good thing too. I think that like we talked about how we don't like cardio, but we're doing shit. And it's stuff that we like. And I think that if you kind of white knuckle cardio like that that ain't gonna last too long <laughs> like like for me treadmills i think that i would die well, like I, it's I, so boring i try to do this with clients uh number one as i rarely prescribe cardio this is going to sound kind of crazy i tend to try to nail the nutrition side of things down get their weightlifting and nutrition great which when it comes to most people's goals and it's fat loss goals you probably don't need cardio unless someone is a uh, a physique athlete that you have to get up on stage and you may need to supplement with cardio or athletes 
or someone with a cardiovascular a performance component. goal. Yeah, performance goal. So, like, for example, I work with uh, police and fire recruits and military recruits. Sometimes I have a lot of police recruits. So they have to have they have to pass their physicals. Police recruits here at Edmonton, they have to pass uh, a beep test and an A-prep. Yeah. So guess what they do? They do beep test and A-prep. I'm not having them on the treadmill for an hour. They go do this run with the recruiters thing that uh, EPS does with them. So they're getting tons of cardio. And I don't turn around and say, yeah, you got to spend like six hours on the treadmill this week. That makes no fucking sense. They do what's necessary. They work on what they need to pass and excel at. And well, beyond that, no. Even with strong view, it's like added in if you like it. But a lot of it has to do with like as your calories go down, you can't, you have to like kind of quarterly regulate your NEAT. Like you can't let your NEAT drop with the deficit. So, I mean, if cardio gets you that, that's fine, but usually it's the neat kind of time. Like, anyways. No, it looked like, yeah, you look like yeah. you had some bad. <laughs> there are so many different pieces I want to jump on here. Man, so, we just, like, uh, went off. <laughs> no, go, man. Unleash. So, first is that, like you were saying, I don't even consider exercise, whether it's strength training or nutrition or strength training or cardio, as even part of the puzzle when we're working on fat yeah. loss, which most mm-hmm. clients are. That is all nutrition. Yep. And, yes, technically – if you look, yes, it will help, but it's all nutrition. Like we focus completely on nutrition. When we're doing exercise, we're doing that for the result of whether it's, you know, building up strength or making sure that, you know, the body composition. So we're losing actual fat, not muscle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're feeling better working on movement patterns, increasing their endurance. But when it comes to the fat loss, that's all nutrition. We make that really clear with clients because the most dangerous mindset is, oh man, oh, I eat bad. Like I got to work out more or even just like, you know, the they're not seeing good results thinking, okay, I have to work out hard or whatever. And it's not going to make the difference. It's all nutrition. And so I think that's so, so key that that's something I didn't learn until a few years of getting frustrated working at the, you know, working at the gym at first when clients just weren't seeing results because we didn't focus on nutrition at all. And again, like you, I, all I care about is clients seeing results. Well, and, and so you, you touched on it though, like att- essentially attaching cardio or training to allow you to burn this many calories to eat more food is a really dangerous mindset to get into, especially because that doesn't work. work. It doesn't work because if you add an activity, your body is like an amazing machine. It will just like literally regulate that calories out portion of it. Like it, it's not going to do shit. You literally have to be in a deficit and keep your knee up. I get this question all the time <clears throat> from clients using uh, macro tracking uh, calculators. And so they they ask about recording their their cardio and like the calories, but I'm like ignore that. Yeah, that doesn't even fucking matter. Doesn't yes. count. Forget about it. Like, but I've told I have to refeed it plus ten percent. It's like no, don't fucking do that. Please don't do that. <laughs> like that's that's twelve. What's donuts the on goddamn head. point of doing the cardio in the first place? If you're tr- yeah, no, don't but do it. That, that's a good question. The people do have that though. It's like why is cardio important? Like I've been told I have to do this, this, and this to lose weight, and it's it's more or less like. That's for cardio adaptation, for your heart and all that stuff. But like it's not if fat loss is your goal, that isn't the main hammer. It's not cardio. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is one of the other tangents I wanted to jump on is which is that I'm huge on we don't have other goals for our clients. Like it's up to them what they want to accomplish. This is their program. It's up to them. If they don't want it, like they could even be obese. If they don't want to focus on fat loss, it's not me to say, hey, you should be really focused on your health. It's up to them, whatever they want to focus on. Um, and I'm very, very big, like across the, like very deep, like, yeah, like literally an obese client, I'm not going to push them to lose fat because it has to come from them. Um, and so what we're talking about with cardio, we're only programming that in if they have a goal that is relevant to cardio. If it's just fat loss, they don't need cardio. And so it's not a necessity. No, that's good. And it's good for people to hear too, because I think that that ends up becoming a myth. 
You know what I mean? Is that you have to add that in. Because if most people look at like even losing fat in the new year, they're going to be like, well, I'm going to start a running program and do yeah. all this, this, this. And it, it like never works. Like not that it never works. Like some people it does work because they end up eating less and blah, 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 blah. It's, but, it's January. You go yeah. into a commercial gym. What do you see? The cardio equipment's full. Uh, why? Because a lot of people think that that is how you they adapt do to that. And like, you just said that. You adapt in like three weeks. Like literally you almost burning shit at that point. Yeah. It's cardio does burn calories. There's a whole myth that like, yeah. you know, after you get to a certain point, like cardio will make you fat. I mean, that's fucking nonsense too. Absolutely. But again, unless you love running or love the cardio, it should not be your main modality of activity. If your goal is to get stronger or your goal is to lose weight. So uh, strength training is going to be a better foundation for it. And hopefully, I I feel like anyone who's listening to this already knows that. But maybe someone's out there who's like, just, I'm running just to, you know, get leaner. No, fuck. Please replay this episode three times and absorb everything that we've said because it will help you. Uh, One of the things that I really love these kind of questions, and I know you're in a good position to answer these. Uh, so the fitness world feels like it's an ever more crowded space. It, like this year, holy shit, like just this last year, I feel like there's way more online, more coaches, more business coaches, more, we're not getting into that. Uh, what do you think will make for the best and most impactful content that'll stand out in the crowd in 2019? Yeah. So specifically about content rather well, than like the business I guess model. like how do they stand out in this world that's full of, I'm not going to say shit, Mess- full of everyone and messages, lots of messages. Whatever it takes to get your message through. Content being kind of the, the base entity of that. So um, I think that first is starting really clear with the client in mind, right? Um, so getting really, I think it's, it's essential to have you write out your client avatar and be really, really clear about who is it that I'm writing for. So not just, I mean, every trainer starts off where if they're, when they become a trainer, they're kind of, and you should, when you're first starting off, train a bunch of different types of clients to see who you really connect with and who your specialty is. But if you want to really build a career in this industry, you have to really, really specialize and figure out, okay, who is it that I really want to help and who am I, who can I become amazing at helping? You can't be the same trainer. You can't be as good as helping a bodybuilder get ready for a show as you can for uh, a random mom who wants to lose 10 pounds and her struggle is just time in her life. You got to figure out what type of client am I best at and then double down on that if you're an individual trainer trying to build a career. Um, Then everything you write should be for that person and include your personality for that. So like when you're writing to them, again, like don't worry about writing to impress other trainers. Figure out what 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 kind of conversations do I have with my clients? What are their constant issues that they bring up? How can I get really specific and hit down the exact pain points that happen with all my clients that they feel like I know them? And so they feel like I'm, I am explaining the exact solution for their problem. Um, I think with content, that's the most important thing. And part of, if you're just starting out, a big part of growing your content is going to be your personal relationships because if you have great relationships with your clients, if you're helping as many people as possible, even if they're not your clients, don't be afraid to give away um, free information. I'm a strong believer of that. Like give away as much help. And here's the big thing. Try to make your content. Your content is not a teaser for people to sign up for personal training. with you. Mm-hmm. Your content, your goal is to actually help people make it as actionable as possible because you want somebody to read your content and actually take action off of it and actually see results because then they're coming back to you every single time to learn more. And then when they or anybody else, it could be a year down the road, but when they or anybody they know 
need a personal trainer, you're top of mind. That's how many Well, and that's another thing, like, and we kind of bash business coaches, blah, 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 blah. But like, that's the difference between writing content that you like legitimately passionately want to write. And it's part of like your message, as opposed to, I'm going to write this to sell this exact thing at this exact time. And I'm going to tailor, take half the stuff out. And especially for new trainers, I just don't think that they're good enough to write that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that they have the experience that they can kind of write this article that's going to trick everyone. And even that whole idea of like the avatar is that like, that's a good advice. Like find out who you're good at. But I think a lot of people try to almost tailor who their audience is. If that makes sense, like they're guessing, but kind of know what you're good at too. Like have like, a yeah, real kind of, like know your niche, but also know what that niche is. Not like, what do you want your niche to be? Cause like, if you're not good at that, fuck that, like be, do what you're good at. Yeah, Does that makes sense. Why I think it's so essential to not specialize too early. Like you spend at least a year yeah. training all different types of clients, and like yeah, like you said, like make sure that you actually are good at training that type of client, and that you enjoy it, and that they enjoy working with you. Then start specializing on that. I agree hundred percent. I think it was on the online trainer forum like last night. Was like, oh, I need to f- figure out what my niche is. Blah 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 blah. And I think it's this. And then people were like, well, do you even train those people? I was like, well, no. It's like, well, <laughs> but like, but like, that's the message is like, you got to find your niche, but like your niche is what you're good at. You just got to understand what your niche is. The class, the classic one is young trainers wanted to work with, you know, professional athletes. athletes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, like, I didn't ever seek out athletes. And now I work with a fair number. There's still, I, my clientele is gen pop, but I have a lot of um, young athletes and, and even some adult athletes. A uh, couple of kids are play, spend some time playing in the WHL this year. But that happened about five and a half to six years into my career where I started to get a lot of these athlete types. Um, and that wasn't something I sought out. It just over time, you develop skills, you gain a reputation. Someone says, hey, you know, I'm not happy with this program. You know, you're doing good work. <clears throat> Would you coach my kids? Okay, cool. And then it just blossoms from there. So, well, yeah, I don't, I don't want it you. I guess I don't want it to come off like, don't aim for the stars. Like, shoot for the stars. But like, at some point, like, there has to be some form of awareness of like, what your skill set is. And if you yeah, want to work with athletes, like, go work at an athlete talking. training facility. Like, you know what I mean? Like, go intern under someone that's training athletes. Like, there's, there's there's usually a route for the stuff you want to do. And it's not just, it doesn't come out of thin air. Yeah, but I think a really important clarification, too, is that when you make your niche, first of all, like you were just saying, like, your niche may change, and that's yeah. fine. Um, you're not setting everything in stone for your entire career. But second is that when you set your niche, it's not that you exclusively train that niche. Like, yeah. if you're... Like if you focus on busy moms, you might get a random 12 year old boy and that's fine because the way to grow your reputation is to be really good at a niche. People will find out about you. And then from there, what's so funny? What do you guys think about? Dean, <laughs> I, my, my dirty mind. <laughs> I, I think Dean just fixated on random like, 12 year old boy. Yeah. Don't, <laughs> if 12 year old boys are messaging you, fucking run. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not even editing that out. It's just like, uh, sorry. That... Daddy, please continue. <laughs> no, but that's the point. Like, just, uh, we get the point. Once you have your niche, you'll build your reputation, and then you'll have a lot of people outside your niche contacting you, and, and it's not that you can't train them. It's just I like, specialize in working. the best way to get yourself known. I specialize in working with 12-year-old boys. boys. Oh, that don't make that pitch. <laughs> you heard it from Danny. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, sorry. That was funny. But I think that's a good clarification to make, though, is that, like, your niche is, like, kind of, like, what you like doing, but, like, you can help a lot of fucking people. Like, helping out mamas means you're qualified to help out a fuckload of people. Just maybe not professional athletes. I feel like, I don't know, a bit of a hard ass about this. I tend to buck the conventional wisdom in that I feel like there's too much of a rush. 
we've sort of said this, to find your niche, not even just early in your career, but even if you've been around for a while. Maybe it's my bias because I tend to be a bit more of a generalist and I found a lot of success by not niching myself here in Edmonton. And I've had a lot of clients say, you know, oh, I found your profile online or at Evolve or whatever. And a lot of the other coaches that I work around, they specialize in athletes or they specialize in Olympic lifting. And it whatever I had to say spoke to them because their goals were a little more general. But, but that's the awareness so piece. I think that if you are too aggressive in niching yourself, at least a little too early on, I think you are excluding a lot of people who might be interested in your services or who you are more than qualified to train. But but no, but like that is that is well, the discussion is that like there is a lot of routes, but like that's where like niche gets like really hammered into like this one thing, but it ends up being what most people gravitate towards anyways. You know what I mean? They just didn't call it a niche. Like you started yeah, a fit company. Time, I, I, I want to hear a little more about that because uh, I love <clears> this. And I love hearing a successful coach who goes against the grain does something a little different. So when I'm super curious, so if you don't, have your a, a very uh, specific niche, then when you are writing content, who do you envision that you're writing it for? See, you challenged me when you said that, and I think I speak to, uh, and this is a cliche thing, but an everyday person. I recently wrote something, and this is to, this, this one got shared like crazy. I think it's actually a Facebook post I've ever written. This was probably the one that went nuts, the most nuts and viral. And it was speaking out against use of memes and rhetoric making light of uh, how packed gyms will be in January because we see fitness professionals share those memes we see fitness enthusiasts share those memes and my message was this and I spoke to both um, but it was to the fitness world to say don't be the person who's sharing this kind of stuff because the message you're sending to your potential clientele and to your friends who might be thinking about starting January is that your presence in a gym in January is unwanted. It's a nuisance and you're not going to be there for very long. And people love this message. There's a couple of people who are kind of crying about it. Fuck them. I don't care. But that was a very broadly spread message. Yet it hit and it touched well, a lot of people, I think, at a lot of points. That goes to my answer is that like I think that there is good information prepackaged that people need to kind of scale stuff and do stuff because they're not doing anything. For me, I, I went against the grain and I'm totally selfish. I'll just write things I want to write. But like, that's the only way I can get stuff out of me and it tends to help whoever it is. But like, that's because <coughs> I do things totally weird and I will be the first person to say that I'm probably not the best at sales and all that mm -hmm. shit. And it, that's just how I did it. Yeah. But I also wouldn't tell people, just write whatever you want. What I <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, that's not, I'm not selling that. So what I found. I think there's oh. value to that though, because you probably have a strong personal brand because of that like you probably are super passionate every time you're writing and people just know hey yeah. like it could be like, like john gibbons a great example where i will open up every like he'll, even his sales emails for the online trainer academy which i already have had for years oh. i'll read all of them because they're so interesting and i just like it, him yeah and like that's what i'm saying most people end up niching by the way they end up acting you know what i mean so like it's whatever i do is a niche for whatever the fuck you want to call it but it ends up being i'm just doing what i want to do and i think that that was my main point is like you have to do you but you also have to know who you are which gets lost in the whole like someone said i need to train this person because this is the best for money and i think if you don't have a good awareness of your values and what you're good at you don't get the opportunity to have a good niche because it's someone else's niche i'm gonna summarize that you be yourself and the type of people who are interested in what you're doing will is find their way to you. But that is your niece. So I don't know what the fuck that is. But like, so I guess what I'm saying is we're probably talking the same shit. <laughs> we just have, you just have better terms for it. 
because I can't write that article. I could not tell someone that prepackaged thing because it's not good advice. But it's the same advice you gave. <laughs> <laughs> Does that make sense, though? I know we kind of want to rat, but I think that that is kind of our my, well, my mindset on it. But I also not selling that. So I, I should have warned Danny in advance, and our audience by now is probably pretty well aware that Dean will sometimes ramble incoherently to the point where <laughs> I think it's very coherent. I think that like I think that that's what people need to hear though, because I think that there's a lot of messages out there, and a lot of it gets lost. And Danny does a really good job of explaining, like you're doing a really good job of explaining the stuff people need to hear without all the bullshit, which I, I do like and appreciate. I think that there's a lot of actionable stuff. But with with Danny, everything Danny said is like perfect. I think I, that a lot of people should listen. To that I was shit. thinking the same thing the whole time, and I was actually kind of thinking how because uh, you haven't done a lot of podcasts, have you? No, I've so I've done more TV segments, and I've only recently started getting into podcasts. And honestly, I, I'm starting to do them more because I just enjoy them more. Like because TV segments, I'm talking with a random host, and it's nice. But like this, like dude, I've loved the last hour. Good. <laughs> Plus, you can swear. I don't know. You we haven't even you can't swear on TV. Not usually. We haven't sworn this one. Okay. Yeah, All right. Well, fuck. Let, let's let's reel this in because I think we got a few more things we got to yeah. touch. But like because it's I think this will be our second episode of the new year. But like yeah. looking forward into 2019. Do you feel like there's any trends or ideas in our industry that the public will move on from like, and move away from? And, and do you have any strong instincts on some of the stuff that's going to emerge this year? Uh, so here's my only real answer to this. I think that um, anybody who's worried too much about online training and things like that taking over, I think it's, there's no reason to worry. I think that, um, so I, I do think there's a lot of value to it. And yeah. I think that the online trainer Academy is awesome. Yeah. I think that there's, it, it's great. And if you're interested in online training, go for it. But I think that in-person training is not going anywhere ever. Even if robots take over, like <laughs> that's just going to make even more what people crave is an actual person. And so I actually, so I got the online trainer Academy for a number of, the biggest reason I got it was because I was like, all right, this is a entire like um, prepackaged like plan for how to build your business from John Goodman. And I was like, even if I don't even go into online training, just I can definitely apply pieces of what he's put in there to my own company. Um, and so what I ended up doing was I tested out online training a little bit. I didn't like it. Uh, I just like having the in-person. But what we do is more of, I guess it's sort of a hybrid because we do um, we do in-home training, so our trainers go to our client's home, and we also have an app. So we have pieces of that online training where we focus on a lot we're doing in between sessions. The hardest part of the program has always been getting our clients to consistently do the online part because yeah. they, they have the least interest in that. What they care about most is the in-person and all of that. So I think that um, – and it's more, I, I'm very biased on this, so I'm also talking about from my demographic, which is like what they need is a person there helping them get it done. They have no interest in spending more time, like, in, you know, going through another app or whatever. So I just that my answer is I think that in-person training is not going anywhere. Those personal relationships are the most important thing for your success. But that, and I think that that's a good viewpoint because you you are like very intertwined with the the PTDC. Is that your your a lot of your business is in person, and I think that a lot of people will see the value in that you're talking about this program being good, but you have a business in person doing the thing that started it all out and that's not going anywhere. And I think that a lot of people want to get away from that. And that's, that's probably a poor decision for some people, I would say to jump away from what's really working. I've just, I've said this a bunch of times. I'll sort of say it again. I feel like there is this massive rush yeah, for some rush. new young trainers to get into the online space exclusively. Maybe they have not spent the time working with clients to really have honed their coaching skills and they're being sold on this idea that you can live on a beach and travel 
and be very financially successful very early in your career through online training exclusively. And I think that's a pipe dream. I don't think that's very real. It's the same kind of thing that gets sold with MLM bullshit. Uh, <laughs> we probably shouldn't go too far into that one, but we know that they, you, you, you get an old friend messages you on Facebook and, hey, what have you been up to? Next thing you know, you're being invited to coffee. You're like, uh-oh. And if you're stupid enough to actually go to the meeting, and if the first thing you see is pictures of people with expensive houses and cars, leave. Just just do yourself a favor and fucking leave. Plus, you lose you lose your edge, I would say. We had this conversation with Eric Helms, and, like, Eric Helms has a lot of online stuff. And, like, we talked about the fact that if you move away from it too fast, you will, A, not become as good of a coach as you could have been. And you'll lose your edge the less you work with people in person. And it's not to say you can't, not to say you have to do it, but there is some value into being in front of people and like really sharpening your skills and honing that skill set. It has value online. There are people who work exclusively online who are fantastic. They've done it for many years. I mentioned Brian Cron earlier. Brian is a great example. Brian is one of the best at getting results from people. He's earned his ability to be in that space and that's the way he wants to work the business. If you're a little newer to the industry, guys, I think really put your time in and get the experience working with clients in person. Plus, get on TV. Maybe it's just my personal bias. <laughs> I, I, yeah, fuck, get on TV if you can. But I really do believe this. It's actually much more financially lucrative and stable, uh, short and medium term, to be really, really strong with an in-person clientele base versus what's going to go on online. Any thoughts of that, Danny, before I ask you about your books? Um, no, I just want to, uh, be clear. I'm not trashing online training. Hell no. My, um, that is my honest thoughts on it. And I would say this, that for anybody who does want to go into online training, I think for sure, go with John Goodman and the OTA because like what you just said, I think is like word for word, what he said, like it's the reason for his success, the PTDC, everything is his ethics. And what he says straight up is, this is not going to get you to be on a beach sipping yeah. uh, whiskey, like, you know, chilling. The point of this is to help you make a little more money, get you to have a little more free time with your family, et cetera. And a lot of people use it to supplement their in-person mm-hmm. training business. So I think what you said of not seeing online training as this pipe dream is so, so key. And that's why I like John. I think I, I just, I fuck, it's because yeah. his ad fucking hits me in the face. But I like, listen, I was like, ah, oh, I love John. John's a good guy. John, but John tells it tells a really yeah. he tells a really good story but he also doesn't sell the dream he like doesn't fucking sell it at all yeah. which is the best part of it he's like i'm gonna teach you shit but like you still gotta do stuff it's a great product i endorse it fully like i said i've been following the ptdc for a very long time it's funny too because like if you i think if you google ptdc you might come up with a pakistani tourism development <laughs> something like that. john jokes about that actually so he, yeah personal trainer development center uh, but all the stuff that's coming out of there, I'm a subscriber to Fitness Marketing Monthly, which is amazing. Uh, and then, like, obviously, when we brought you on here, I want people to find your social media. We'll get into that in a little bit. And I, I, I'm thinking, like, we got to talk to some of our other podcast host friends. Just be like, you got to get Danny on here because his message is really good, well spoken. Uh, get you out there more than you already are, which you certainly earned. But uh, you're part of the PTDC. It's a great thing. Check out the website. I love the Sunday articles, uh, the best of the fitness industry. And yeah, if you're looking at online personal training or online training, uh, look at the OTA. Okay. So books, we ask every guest now he's frozen up a bit. So we're just gonna make sure he's still there. You got Sorry, you're, call. Yeah. you're good. You're good. Um, we always ask if there's a book, uh, personally or professionally, that's really had a big impact on you. You'd want to share with everybody. I'm a big book geek. 
Good question. Um, the one that's top of mind is one that, uh, so I, I do audiobooks a lot because I yeah. hate reading. I'm a slow reader and audiobooks work great with me because I can also do it. I spend so much of my time driving and I can do it while I'm cooking or whatever. So that's just a tip for people too. If you, you hate that. reading, you don't have to read. Yeah. He's me. We do the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm listening to probably like third or fourth time The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, um, which plays in a lot to choice minimalism and, and decision fatigue and things like that. But um, it's just, it's so cool because it's like everything in my life is related to, to the message of it and to the practical advice of it. Whether it's putting my keys on the hook when I walk in the door, whether it's my bedtime wake-up time, or a lot the way we work with clients. Um, it's not a self-help book. I hate self-help books. This is a book about more of the science and diving deep into how habits are formed, and more importantly, how they're changed with case studies and more practical um, tips for how to go about it. And it's it's a powerful book. So I, I love it. I highly, highly recommend it for trainers and really anybody. And you're not the first person to recommend it. And I think Andrew brings it up fucking every three podcasts, at least. <laughs> not not that frequently. It is a good book. Every three. It's come up a couple times recently <laughs> because uh, Atomic Habits, James Clear, yeah, who, we, who we've got scheduled in a month or so, uh, he wrote uh, Atomic Habits, which is a really good book, and it actually channels and borrows a lot from some of the, the more scientific content that is in The Power of Habit. But The Power of Habit is a must-read for any personal trainer. I feel like it's on that list. You should. So, yeah, like I love it. Um, Have you read Atomic Habits, by the way? I was thinking of checking that out. Oh, it's fantastic. It's actually one of the most concise, accessible, interesting reads out of everything I've ever read. It's a really, really great book. It's. I have to read it. Do you know how like I, I always rant about uh, books with swearing in the title and how much I hate them, and then that I that's more shock value than the truth. But there's some that are really bad, like that that uh, the subtle art of not giving a fuck. I think that's trash. Man, but you sold so many of those. I know, probably, but it's it's entry level stuff. It's like the Harry Potter for kids to get them reading more. <laughs> Man, it's, it's like the salt yeah. gateway drug. Bad example. Adults. Bad example. Well, Harry Potter is good quality stuff. Or Twilight. Okay, there you go. It's the Twilight. Twilight's good too. I've, I've, I've always said that. No, it's, man. I like Twilight. That subtle art is the Twilight of no, the self-help uh, genre. Point B. Yeah, the subtle art is uh, like Buddhism with swearing. Yeah. <laughs> so what I, I like find that. is Atomic Habits is a much better book, but it's extremely like, if, it's the sort of thing if someone grabs onto it who's never read a book like that, they're going to love it. They're going to find it really interesting. And then maybe they're going to move on to some stuff. Find books that are probably a little heavier, like Power Habit. Um, sweet. We've talked about John Goodman's company. But, like, where, where do... Where, where do <laughs> which, which you're kind of roped to do, so it works out good. But where, where do people find you online and kind of consume what you have on social media and the stuff that you write? So, um, best way is I mostly use one profile. My actual... Uh, Facebook profile. Um, if you just search Donnie Singer, you'll find me. And literally, my like that little bio says like, "Hey, I don't separate worlds. Friends, let's go. Clients, fitness professionals, connect with me here." Um, and I love connecting with anybody in the fitness industry or any random fitness people or just anybody. If you're interested, just connect with me. Um, and my company is called Fit to Go Personal Training. Um, we only service. So this usually happens when we do like podcasts and stuff like that. That like we'll get random people from California applying and so to clarify we only work in baltimore city and county um but a lot of our like a lot of our content is made for that made for the people that aren't in 
Baltimore City or County. So if you've kind of liked some of the concepts we went through here, you can find a lot of our stuff. It's all free. Uh, if you go to fit2gopt.com, so it's F-I-T, the number two, G-O-P-T is in personaltraining.com. Um, that's where we are. We're fit to go personal training on Facebook. And that's me. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you coming on here. Um, I thought this was going to be cool based on the stuff that I got into on your content. Uh, you didn't let me down or disappoint. This was fun and engaging. I really do hope that our regular listeners, everybody actually goes and takes the time to probably follow you on social media um, to see more of what you got out there. Don't think a lot of our people are probably located in Baltimore, but there's probably a few, but <laughs> so they may not be able to go at uh, fit to go, but there's also probably going to be some people who found us through your social media. And what I like to speak to those people every time, if this is the first time you've actually heard us, what we're doing, we try to keep these fun. We've had a lot of really cool industry people. We've had John Goodman on the podcast before I mentioned Brian Cron. He's great. Uh, very recently, we just had Sohi Lee. We just had Brett Contreras on, uh, maybe for those two, they're kind of big names in our industry. They're good friends of ours. And we're going to continue to pump out really awesome content and try to show the f more fun and interesting side of our guests versus asking a lot of the, what I feel like are very routine and bland questions that unfortunately a lot of fitness podcasts tend to do. So we hope that these are so fun that our guests are like, Hey man, can I come back next time? Fuck yes. Of course. Um, if you liked it, not that, no, not him. Check out a couple of other episodes. <laughs> if you like that, maybe you'll subscribe. Uh, a five-star rating is awesome on iTunes or any of our other platforms. But thanks so much for listening. And, and if you made it this far, you're a warrior, you're a champ. So thanks. Uh, Donnie, thanks so much. I really appreciate having you on here. Thank you so much for having me. And let me just add this, like, to your credit. The, I can't tell you how happy I was when you sent me a couple days ago, like, Hey, so we read through your stuff. Here's some of the stuff we'd love to talk about. Like that, I have so much respect for you. I've had a blast on this. This was awesome. So thank you guys. Oh, appreciate it. Shut up and sit down.